0: Good morning. So good to see everybody. Have a lot of visitors with us. I'm self-situated here. I have allergies, so if I take a drink later, please don't think less of me. Battling some allergies still. Over the last six months or so, I couldn't count the number of people who have discussed with who have discussed with me their frustrations and confusion over what the world is trying to push on their sons in high school, college, and in their 20s. Particularly when it comes to the idea of washing away masculinity in favor of some amalgamation of sameness between the sexes. This creates a lot of problems for young men trying to grow up spiritually and become men of God who, would, who God would have them to be. And today I want to address this topic, that is, what I think to be a very relevant topic. A topic today is the masculine Christian. And while this sermon is for all, there are more obvious application points for men than I think women, but there's something here for everyone. But we need to have a proper perspective on being a man versus being male, And we need that now more than ever. And let me repeat that. Are you a man or are you just male? And the distinction I'm making here is, are you a man being shaped and molded and maturing the way God would have you to be? Or are we content with listening to the parade of agendas that want you to stay stunted and immature as men? We need to find and appreciate the male female distinction and not denigrate that distinction. We are inundated with messages from the world that would try to defeat any idea of masculinity or femininity for that matter. And I'd ask you just to look back to Jeremy's lesson a month or so ago when we were talking about being born male or female. The world wants you to put gender on some sliding scale some sliding spectrum, rather than see the truth that God made distinct differences, including distinction in body for men and women. We're simply not the same. We're not. We're not the same. And God's desire is for boys to grow into men, into godly men. What I would like to do with the time today is to point out some challenges that we have and then go to scripture for what God has to say on the matter. Because in the end, that's all that really does matter is what God has to say about the thing. We're going to have four or five points and then the lesson will be yours. And if I say something today that you disagree with, please be my friend and come talk to me, hopefully in a spirit of love as I will try to respond in a spirit of love. But if I say anything today that you disagree with, please come talk to me. Okay, let's start with the lies and the marketing plan that Satan has put together. Satan is busy wanting boys to be young. He wants our young men to be immature and confused. Immaturity and confusion is what he wants for young men. Satan is busy wanting boys to be very confused about who they are in this world. He wants boys to wonder, do I choose my own, agenda, my own gender? Am I really born male or do I get to choose later what I am? Is it how I feel about something? Is it how I feel about who I am that makes the determination? Or am I born one way or another that determines the factor about maleness or not? He wants boys to stay as sheltered as possible from the shelters of life. He wants them to be soft and delicate and fragile internally and perhaps physically so that they are unable to transition into God's definition of manhood. Just, just stay in the basement. Just stay in the basement and shun reality. Stay down there, boys. Don't worry about full-time work. Don't worry about working hard. Don't worry about your future. Let mom take care of that laundry. Let mom take care of that car payment, even if you're 26. Satan wants boys to be stunted in the word of God. Delay any sort of Bible study so that they can stay murky and unsure about, whether, about what they understand on tougher and more controversial subjects, on tougher portions of the Bible. Don't take any positions that could cost you. Whatever you do, man, stay stunted in your growth. Don't take any positions, son. That's just going to cost you. Let other people deal with that. The elders will deal with that. Some deacon will deal with that. Some Bible school teacher will deal with that tough problem. You don't really need to take a stand, and you don't need to mature on the subject. Keep feeding on the word. Keep feeding on the milk of the word, and be content is what Satan wants. And the reason Satan wants men and women, too, to stay stunted is so that we don't mature. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore... Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Let's review 14 again for a second. The practical takeaway from that is that we distinguish evil and good not simply from just reading the Bible. Let me say that again. We don't just distinguish evil and good simply from reading the Bible. Is reading the Bible important? Yes, we know that. But this passage goes on to tell us, But we've got to, if we want to be able to distinguish good from evil after we've read the Bible, we've got to be able to put it into practice. That's what 14 says. Who by powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Man, we've got to put it into practice into our lives. So we can stunt our boys if we either don't feed them God's words or don't encourage them to make application and put God's Word into practice. Satan wants boys, as part of his marketing plan, and young men to be satisfied with lustful images rather than to have to grow up, develop real relationships with Christian women, and then marry to fulfill that God-given desire. Guys, porn kills Your ability to choose good woman for the sake of a fantasy. Get rid of it. He wants boys and young men to delay any thoughts of marriage until much, much later. Satan loves men who stay self-focused. Now, I want to be careful here. This is not a sermon against someone being single. Some have set themselves apart, as did Paul, to focus on God's work. In this life without a spouse, I understand that. But the single life to avoid maturity, to avoid responsibility, that's not God's way. And the answer to overcoming these challenges is for men to understand there simply is a time that we must rise above what we want and what is easy. And to become what we need to be. And we've got a principle that we've got to deal with that's going to shape the rest of this lesson. And that is the notion of manhood as being lifted up by the Bible as something special. It's not just me coming up here. The Bible lifts this up as something special. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn. I think we need to understand and appreciate something here, that Solomon is getting ready to take over the throne from his father, David, who has been great and exalted within Israel. And he needs to be more than he is at that moment to live up to the task. And his father tells him, be strong and show yourself a man. I want us to appreciate, this is a biblical reality, that something is special and something is needed in manhood all of us as boys probably had a coach a teacher maybe your dad to challenge you to be a man what did he mean by that what did what did he mean by that was that some degradation of women no it was not rather it was a call for boys to look inside and to become determined to strive to be more than they are at that moment and to realize that they have something within themselves that God wants to pull out so that they can do a job. And, you know, as much as I can't stand a lot of Nike commercials, there's one that I really like that I think talks about this point. There's an old coach standing in a tunnel waiting to lead his boys onto a football field and he turns to them and says this on the way out. There's the man who can, and there's the man who can't. And they're both right. Which one are you? We get to choose. Men, even if we choose, even if we fail while, while doing something valiant, while trying to be a man, to be the man of God, at least we fail doing the best that we could trying to be God's man. God respects that. Your wife will respect that. People around you will respect that. Hiding in the shadows is not something to respect. Paul also shares this testament, this same thought in the New Testament, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. So if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. We're going to spend the rest of our time noting the things that Paul mentions here so that we can combat the plan that Satan has for us, so that we can defeat the marketing plan of Satan, if you will, when it comes to masculinity, when it comes to this topic. And the first thing that he tells us is to be watchful. That's not just physically looking around us, gentlemen. It entails that, but the point he is making here is that we need to take notice of what is happening and have a vision of what we want. We've got to be attentive in this life. Sometimes, guys, let's face it, we can fall asleep and become inattentive to the situation at home, at work, within the congregation, And for younger men who are looking around, you need to evaluate the companions you're choosing. I mean, is it really the best thing to hang around a crowd that has no moral compass? Gentlemen, to be with a young lady that has no moral compass, the answer to that is no. Jesus had something to say about this when he said in Matthew chapter 15, if the blind, God, the blind, both will fall into a pit, it's a red flag in our lives. If we're willing to be led by other people who have no spiritual compass, that's a big red flag. So the watchful man successfully does two things. The watchful man does this. One, he develops an honest self-evaluation set of habits. One of the hardest things for men to do is to take a hard look at our habits, our choices, our friends, and then be honest about what is it we need to do to straighten this out. What are we going to do about it? Gentlemen, if you're late in high school or college and you've not started asking yourself some hard questions about your spiritual maturity level, you're setting yourselves up for some terrible habits when you become a husband and father. And that sounds harsh, but the alarm bell is ringing in our society and our young men need to hear it and stand up. And I think, our—and by the way, please let me interject this at this point. We don't think we've got a problem with our young men here, okay? That's not why this is coming. Society is pushing this on us, and we need to be ready. Choices with friends, choices with sports, choices with hobbies, choices with the amount of time we choose to do those things are all in play here. The choice to be a Christian that is going to do the minimum, that gets started when you're young, not when you're old. Doing the less is something that you start doing when you're young. And the truth is, at this point, young men, if mom and dad are doing the minimum, it's still on you to do what you can. The second thing that a young man does is look at honesty at where these choices are leading him. He looks with wisdom to the path that he's on because of his choices. What path are you on because of the choices that you've made? Be they good paths or be they bad? He looks with wisdom to see what's the fruit that's coming from this choice. And if a change is needed, do I have the strength and the intestinal fortitude to make that change so that I can be focused on Christ? I'm sure the prodigal son thought that he was on the right road when he had his dad's money in his pocket and he was on his way to fun. The marketing plan of Satan was at work, and what he didn't see happening was that as soon as possible, Satan was going to turn all of that pleasure into pain. And he had his soul to boot. Proverbs 4.25 tells us this regarding our vision as men. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you ponder the path. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Gentlemen, we've got to run away from anything that's going to rob us of our vision. Our theme this year is choosing the better. And within that theme is the idea that not every single thing that we run into in this life is going to be extremely black or extremely white when it comes to the decisions that we've got to make. But the Bible tells us and teaches us, godly people around us help us see how to make wise choices so that we can choose the better. Without vision, people perish. Second thing Paul tells us to do in this section of text is to stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Perhaps we could call this the spiritual calisthenics, uh, to be a man. This is the hard work that is put in to become spiritually fit. Real men read their Bible every day. Let me say that again. We need to be reading our Bible every day if we want to be spiritually fit. We've got to be busy telling ourselves, too, that that responsibility is on us, not our classroom teacher, not the elders, not the deacon, not the preacher. It's on us. And it's false thinking if you think that just coming here is going to be all that you need to hear and you don't take it on yourself. It's false thinking because you need to let God talk directly to you, not through somebody else. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of souls and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Did you catch that passage? The word of God penetrates you and sifts you, sifts through the thoughts and intentions of your heart. When you open your heart to God, he will change you. You're allowing him to mold you into the spiritual shape that he wants you to be. That's true. We get good things when we come here. It's true. I get that. But our daily exercise as Christians need not be just twice a week. You do this exercise so that you can stand firm. Now, I challenge men on this point with the following question. Men, men, can you readily find passages? Can you readily find passages and be able to discuss them, even on some basic level, on some of these topics? What's the Sermon on the Mount about? Why is sin so bad? The importance of Jesus and the cross, the church, who's in it, who's not in it, grace. What does God require to become one of his children? Some basic things need to be understood if we're going to be able to stand firm on God's word. Now, when we're talking to those around us, being a man doesn't mean attacking somebody. That's not what we read within the pages of the New Testament. We've always got to have compassion and care for those with whom we disagree. But compassion is not compromise. Show respect and love, but stand up and be counted for the truths of God. Third thing, act like a man. That's what he said in that passage, act like men. He lifts up that same idea that we read when David told Solomon, be a man. Some versions say be courageous or be brave. So what is a man? And maybe a better question, what's a Christian man? Is he someone that can bench press 300 pounds and run the 40 in under five seconds? No. Is it somebody that has looks or status or power? It's not the Samson model. No, a Christian is someone who's Identity comes from God and takes initiative to do what he says he will do. I'm going to repeat that. A Christian man is someone whose identity, who you are, comes from God, and you're willing to take initiative to do what you say you will do. That's not a perfect definition, I know, but it's true. You're not a student who's a Christian. You're a Christian who's a student. You're not an engineer, firefighter, father, husband, doctor who happens to be a Christian, you're a Christian first and those things later. That means your decisions are filtered by the word of God and your actions are undertaken with his guidance. Therefore, a Christian man has yielded himself to the, to the will of God so that he's becoming more like Christ over time. Christian men, we neither have the time nor the luxury of not moving forward nor expanding our relationship with our Creator. Status quo, sitting still on past accomplishments will not work. Having no plan, no purpose is not going to cut it. You're leading yourself and you're leading other people. It's odd to me how men so many times will set goals financially, set goals at work, Set goals for workouts, set goals for their hobbies, set goals for their sports. But when it comes to the spiritual welfare of themselves and their family, you couldn't find a goal anywhere. Satan will eat you alive if we have no plan to fight him. We've lost that idea that Satan is really after us in this world. Satan's real, he's real. Let me share with you one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and, and Eli read it a minute ago in 8:29 of Romans, "For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son." Did we catch that? The importance of that. God has nothing less in store for us than all of us to be in the very image of His Son. That's what He wants us to be. We are not going to a- achieve that, gentlemen without pushing ourselves spiritually. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we just finished one point talking about growing in the word. But one very serious trait that comes with leadership is having a servant mentality. When Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, he wasn't doing that just to teach them that they need to wash each other's feet. He was giving them a plan of saying, you want to be a leader, be a servant. Gentlemen, you want to lead a family? You be a servant to your wife. You be a servant to your children. You think about them first. Do we have a servant mentality? You want to act like a man, then serve. Study, teach, apply, go do. Let the primary focus of your life be using the talents and the hard wiring you got from birth as men to learn and grow and then deliver to God your life for service. Growth comes in the trenches of study and application and then walking the Christian walk. Now, I mentioned in the definition that a Christian, Christian men need to take initiative in what they do. And there's something just very special about a man who truly is a man of his word. And within the idea of manhood, we need to take note that real men don't make excuses. Excuse me. Real men aren't about excuses. You gotta own your mistakes, accept the lesson, and improve. That's how we get better. That's how you improve. I wish it was easier than that. I don't have any shortcut here. Learn, grow, apply, but then do. And one of the worst looks and acts you can take on as a man anybody, man, woman, is to try to cover up your blunders with misdirection. Just own it. Gentlemen, it is our job, so says the Bible, to take initiative and to lead, provide, and protect our wives and children. When you get married, you tell God, I accept those conditions. I accept those conditions. If you want to get married, Know that those are the ground rules from Scripture, and they fit you because you're a man. They fit you. Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. We're directed by God to lead. That's what he just said. 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's harsh talk. That's straight shooting. If you don't take care of your family, you're worse than someone who's denied the faith in Jesus Christ. We need to provide. Did that say that the wife couldn't work? No. It's about the only disclaimer I've got today. didn't say that the wife couldn't work. That's not what that means. We all know that. But at the end of the day, the primary responsibility rests on the man's shoulders. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for you, for her. Gave himself up for her. You, gentlemen, are directed to protect spiritually and physically, your wife and family. Okay. We're not going to be able to fulfill any of these roles if we, if we allow the world to diminish the masculine traits we're given. I want you to consider Jesus as the example here on this. He made a whip of cords to drive out swindlers and cheats out of the temple. He stood up for a woman caught in adultery. And took heat for it. He called the Pharisees snakes. He endured humiliation and loved us to the point of his own death. That's strong living. Let us live strongly like him. Jesus is with us. Be strong. Be strong. It's another point that Paul says in this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Again, this isn't the bench press score. This is the notion of being strong like Joseph and not strong like Samson. Samson, if you remember, had all the physical strength in the world. He had everything in the world going for him. He had looks, most likely from the appearance of things it's, or the way it reads. He had strength, spirit, but strength physically but not spiritually. He was weak over and over again. When it came to women, he was a puddle of goo. Chasing girls, and in the end, it hurt him badly. Now, I realize Samson's in the hall of faith, but he made poor decisions that made him weak. And in his case, it made him weak, not just spiritually, but physically. Read the story. Joseph, on the other hand, was a young man who was strong, but not like Samson. He was a man internally who had spiritual focus, dedication, and determination to serve God despite his circumstances. While a servant in a very bad situation, he was tempted sexually, excuse me, he was tempted sexually, didn't yield but went to jail over the incident anyway, and God restored him, God used him, and eventually used Joseph to put him in a place to restore his his whole family. What's the difference between Samson and Joseph? And gentlemen, if we can get the answer to this, we've gained a big insight into true masculine strength. The difference was Joseph had self-control and Samson did not. There's differences, there's other differences, but to a large degree, our ability to be strong deals with our ability to live self-controlled lives. It's one of the biggest differentiators between men. You see it in work, you see it at play, you see it everywhere. Why is self-control so important? It's important because we live in a world of temptations, that's why, and Satan's out to get us. And there's many temptations in this life that take direct aim at our ability to control self. Our eyes via women or lustful images on screens that are all over the place, on billboards all over the place. Our pride via chasing money and power so that we can be important. Samson followed his lust and his short-term thinking while Joseph chose to live for God, foregoing the pleasure of the moment. But God was with him, didn't forget him. Remember, God never forgets his own. Samson wanted to be strong his own way. Joseph wanted to be strong God's way. And this is a distinction with a real difference. We are only able to be strong, gentlemen, because we allow God to make us that way. Taking on Satan on our own steam is a fool's errand. You will not win on your own. At the end of the Ephesian chapters where Paul is so eloquently describing the loving relationship of of a husband and a wife and with the children, he says this at the end, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not self-might, but strength that comes from relying on God. So the Bible theme of delayed gratification that we're discussing couldn't be louder. We've got to take and make the present serve the future. Let me say that again. The present must serve the future. The man who tore down his barns to build bigger was foolish because he didn't consult God. But he decided to get all he could right now. And he thought that was the right path. He thought that was the right path. It was the foolish path. He was not strong. Last point. Last point. Let all be done in love. The canopy over all of this conversation that we've had the, today about masculinity and manhood and what it takes is to let it be done in love. Real men care about those around them and not consumed with using people. Getting what you can from them. And I don't care what we're talking about. Sex, money, money. Power, prestige, the use of people is something God notices, and he's very displeased with it. The traits of love God gives us all to live by are needed so desperately from men in our society. From a practical standpoint, our world would be much better off with a proper biblical understanding of biblical masculine love a love that calls a man to care about his wife before himself and sacrifice for her and his family. Men, if we want a good, solid relationship with a woman, it won't be found in chasing women and feeding your own sex driven ego. Ladies, if we want healthy, strong spiritual relationships full of trust and mutual care, please appreciate the distinctiveness of masculinity as a biblical truth. It's no accident that Paul states two very different mandates at the closing of his chapter on marriage. Ephesians 5.33. Let each one of you, men, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men, love your wife. She needs to know that you love her and you've got her best interest at heart. Ladies, God mandates in that verse that you show him respect. Doesn't mean in either case, that we shouldn't love and respect each other. But let's not wash out the distinction that is made by Paul and by God through Paul in that section about what it is we both need. Men need to be respected, and ladies need to be loved. Now, we haven't spoken much today. We haven't spoken much today about what it takes to be a Christian. We've spoken a lot today about the definitions of masculinity and manhood as we find them in the Bible. We want you to know we love everybody here. We love this world. We want the best for everyone. We would ask you today, if you haven't become a Christian, to seriously consider it. And please let your wishes be made known. You can come forward and we'll help you. We've got a baptistry ready. We'll have studies with you. Whatever it is you want us to do regarding a spiritual conversation, we'll try to have with you. So if we can help in any way, please come while we stand and while we sing.